Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos, where we present tips, tools, and techniques to help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor at Lokahi Counseling. This channel and the Calming the Chaos podcast is for those who want self-help and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like the information, please subscribe to my channel and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. This episode of Calming the Chaos, we are talking about calming the cancer chaos. We have with us today, Catherine Marie, who is a cancer survivor and a coach and a speaker. And she's gonna tell us her story in time for October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so Catherine's gonna share her story from pre-diagnosis of cancer to the treatment and beyond. I'm just so happy to have Catherine here with us. And she, again, she has so many amazing stories and also some products to help you and some resources on her website that I'd love to share. So without any further notice, I will bring up Catherine. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, I know. And likewise, too, because I know your story a little bit, but I'm just so excited for you to expand on some of your experiences with a very a serious subject, but one you say that, you know, you, you have to laugh about, too, or you have to laugh as you struggle and you really are a big proponent of laughter through this very serious, this serious conversation, right? I am. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about it this morning and not at first, I didn't think about laughter. In fact, I had a, a, a I met somebody who told me before I was actually an officially diagnosed, she told me she watched funny movies during uh, her her cancer chemotherapy treatment. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, how could you? This is serious. This is life and death. And and yeah, I can share stories about how I learned to incorporate it and how I found it healing. Yeah, I think it's really important that you add that. Humor changes the whole energy of a person. And as we know, cancer is in the body. It is a physical disease. And you know, the energy of cancer is a very sometimes aggressive or angry one. So I think to just for me coming from an emotionally, uh, you know, just an emotional healer perspective, mm -hmm. I like the idea of changing the energy to something a little lighter, especially when you have cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just helps you get through it too. Yeah, and I've never had it. So I'm really very, very interested in hearing you. Where where do we want to start here? Do we want to start about your story? Just just pick a spot, any spot. Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about me. And first of all, I'm a mom. And that for me is my priority. I have boy-girl twins. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 46. I had gone 
to just an annual checkup and I had my doctor found a lump and she said, you know, I've never felt this before. And I had had a, my mammogram and my regular checkups were off a little bit. So I had had a mammogram just eight and a half months prior and I had had a history of some benign lumps. So I wasn't really too concerned, but she said, you know, let's send you for some diagnostic testing. So that, that was kind of the, the, the start of how my cancer story <laughs> began. And I, it was a few days later, I went for the uh, mammogram and ultrasound. And it was at the, so the mammogram was first and then the ultrasound. And as I was getting that test done, I kind of started having some concerns. I started sensing something that maybe I should be more concerned than I initially was. And that was because the technologist wouldn't look at me. And then the testing was done. She left the room and she came back with a radiologist. And he had this look on his face and it was a look I was familiar with. And the reason I was familiar with this look is I had mentioned my children. My children were born prematurely. They were 25 week twins. Together they weighed less than three pounds. So I had spent an extensive amount of time in hospitals and working with doctors and nurses and speech therapists and occupational therapists and, and, and helping my children progress and grow and, and heal. So when this radiologist looked at me, I knew that look. And that look was, he was very concerned and he wasn't ready to say anything until tests confirm. And that's when I knew <laughs> that it was really, really serious. So this was a Friday and he told me that I needed to have a biopsy, that there was an area of concern in my breast and my lymph nodes under my arm. And I went to set up that appointment for the biopsy. I scheduled it at a convenient time, which ended up being five days later because, you know, that point first, the diagnostic testing was on a Friday. I had it the following Wednesday. And but in that interim, in that five day wait, I wanted to have some control in a situation that felt so completely out of control. So I started doing some research. Plus I had had this experience with my children where I really felt I needed to have a relationship with a doctor. And so I'm more proactive in looking for doctors that I feel comfortable with. And I felt like I wanted to prepare for if I had cancer, I wasn't in, I didn't feel like I was inviting it in, but I wanted to prepare for it just in case and yet wanted to be proven wrong. So one of the things I did was I talked with a breast cancer patient that this one that told me that, you know, she watched funny movies during her cancer treatment. And, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is so serious. How could you even think of laughing during chemotherapy? It was, it was a crazy idea to me. So I went for the biopsy and expressed immediately to the doctor and the nurse that I was very concerned and they were very forthcoming with me. 
the doctor, when she removed the tissue, it was a, a, called a core needle biopsy. And when she removed the tissue, she said, this does not look like normal breast tissue. And so I kind of knew that it was very possible that I would have cancer. And she told me that the results would come back in one to three days. It was the very next day on March 5th when I received a call from a nurse who was a complete stranger to me. And she, um, I remember exactly where I was standing and what I was doing. And she started telling me a little bit about the pathology, which some of it I can't remember. <laughs> you know, I was a little bit in shock, you know, even though I kind of thought maybe, but I was in shock. But I jumped into function mode immediately. And I said to her, okay, this is who I want for an oncologist and this is who I want for a surgeon. And so we, we began the process of setting up appointments. I also needed to have an MRI and we set up all those appointments. The following week, I saw my oncologist for the first time. And that is where, that was the beginning of me learning to incorporate humor. Mm. This man was lovely. He held my hand and, but <laughs> of course I was a little bit tense and stressed and worried and all of those things. And he wanted to examine me. And I got up on the exam table and he started examining my chest. And he started with the unaffected side. For me, that was the left side. He started with the side that didn't have the cancer. And I kind of rolled my eyes at him like thinking to myself, did he not read the information? Did he not know where the, this lump was? And I rolled my eyes and I said, um, it's the other side. And he looks at me and he says, I know today you get a twofer. So, <laughs> and I loved it because that just like made me just kind of like take my stress level down a little bit. Well, you're saying a whole lot of important things here. So I just got to pause for a minute because that was a lot of information and um, wow. So when you're, when you talked about the, the initial going in and knowing that look, right? You, mm -hmm. you were familiar with that because of your children and you've seen that, or maybe even felt that energy of, it just sort of becomes a little bit more somber or a little bit more heavy. Yeah, it was just a thought of he knows more than he's revealing. So you knew that and you, mm -hmm. you absolutely knew that. You didn't know if it was gonna be bad or not, but you just knew that he knew something and then it turned out you were correct because you had to go back for more tests, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's just really important to, to mention that so much of the chaos with cancer starts before the diagnosis because you're going through that testing and so many, oftentimes we're not revealing that to friends and family. They don't know that the chaos starts before the actual diagnosis. And for you, when, when we think of chaos, it's, you know, this state of disorganization, confusion, and anything in our environment that throws us off balance or overwhelms us or confuses us. So, so when did you start to notice that show up for you in this process? 
It was, it was right. I would say it was like at that moment when the doctor, the radiologist said, there's concern and you need to have a biopsy. I, uh, I jumped into function mode and I kind of, I, I intentionally set two goals for myself. And I said, I'm going to try to keep things as normal for my children in the process. And I'm going to get healthy. Those were my, and, and I became laser focused on that. And I just, I, I jumped into function mode. And I don't want to say that I stuffed down my emotions, but I, I, I became very compartmentalized. Well, I, yeah, that was the other point I was going to make. And because what happened for you was the chaos started when the radiologist said you needed a biopsy. Mm -hmm. And yet you calmed yourself by getting more information. You said that you went out and you researched oncologists, you talked to your friend, you were able to go into function mode. So when we talked about that, and here you are, this is even before they gave you the diagnosis, you were trying to calm yourself. I think that's really a sign of great resilience. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, and I think there was perhaps moments of that and perhaps moments of, you know, where I was, it was a roller coaster ride and perhaps moments of calm and, and higher moments of chaos. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and then you were talking about when the, uh, was that the oncologist, the very first yes. oncology appointment that you had. So this brings us back up yes. to where he was on the right side or the left side and your cancer was, or the lump was on the, 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 the right, left, the right. right. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm glad I'm not an oncologist, right? I just start with <laughs> one and then you get a twofer, right? That's what yeah. she says. Right. You thought it was great. It lightened the mood and that's another way. So uh, two things, information calms the chaos, uh, going into the, uh, the fixing it mode or the, the mode where you learn and then humor and just being able to take a little bit of the heaviness out really yes. does calm you down. Absolutely. Yes. Right. So yeah, I, I, I met with the oncologist. I met with the plastic surgeon. I had to have more testing to make sure there was no other cancer in the body. And it was exactly three weeks after my diagnosis that I was in surgery for a double mastectomy. Did you have any confusion or chaos, if you will, overwhelm about the surgical process of having a, when you say double mastectomy, mm -hmm. I'm sure that you, when you first were faced with that, it probably wasn't so easy, but it's been a couple of years. So I think you're, you might be a little bit more used to saying that, but mm -hmm. for those members of our audience who may be facing this, what was going through your mind at the possibility or at the, at the uh, probability of you losing both of your breasts? Initially, when uh, the doctor, the oncologist, I should clarify. So he mentioned to me that the size of my lump, there was no possibility of just having a lumpectomy. It would leave me deformed. Mm -hmm. I was pretty small chested prior to uh, having cancer. And so because my lump was so large, a lumpectomy was not an option. So he did give me the option of a single versus double mastectomy. And for me, 
it was a no brainer. I just wanted to uh, get the cancer out as soon as possible. So I felt pretty good about it at first. I felt calm about that decision. And a friend pointed out to me that, uh, she, that another person that she knew who had, I don't know if that person had had a double or single, but she, she pointed out, she knew through a friend that if I'm going to have reconstruction, it is harder for a plastic surgeon to match a natural breast than it is to completely reconstruct both breasts. So I, I did weigh that a little bit, but for me, it was just, I wanted a <laughs> clean slate per se. <laughs> that is so funny. I was thinking that I was like clean slate, right? Yeah. And you said no, almost no brainer, right? That, mm -hmm. that this was something that you would like to be able to just for one, if you got cancer in one breast, if you kept the other one, there's a likelihood that you might be able to get it in that one as well. So, and then the whole clean slate thing really yeah. sort of made sense to you. Yeah. And, and from what I was told from a medical standpoint, there wasn't necessarily medically, statistically, a lot higher risk of developing cancer in the breast if I only did a single. But for me, it was it's that emotional component that I know it would have created emotional chaos for me had I only chosen a single mastectomy. Yeah, and it seemed to just clear up any confusion about that and clearing up the slate to where you can feel free to do whatever it was that you're going to do reconstructively, right? So yes. I like that mindset shift because I think anybody who is facing this can possibly shift their minds to the same way that Catherine has in that it is a clean slate, it is an opportunity to be able to take care of anything that's going on cancer-wise, and then also have the opportunity to do reconstruction on a clean slate. Mm -hmm. if, if you choose to view it that way, right? You could, right. You, you could choose to view it tragically. Right. Like, I've lost both, both of my breasts. Yes. So, you know, I think we do have choices as humans how we're gonna shift our minds when these chaotic experiences come our way. Yes. And I have to say that there is a mourning process, you know, that happens with uh, losing, it, you know, it, it's losing a part of your body that's been with you all your life. And it was emotionally difficult, particularly the day of the mastectomy. It was difficult hearing comments from other people and that messed with me and, and created some confusion and emotional turmoil. Turmoil, um, You know, hearing comments from other people saying, oh, it's just, you know, just do it. it, it it's going to get you healthy. It's just fat. It's just, you know, and trying to, people trying to minimize it. And yet it was a really significant event. And yet <laughs> I, I tried to just look at it as this is this is the path to to health. Right, right. Yeah. So minimizing it is 
people's attempts to actually make you feel better and saying it's okay, you'll get over it. But really, validation is what we need in those moments. It's like, yeah, how is it for you? If it's fine, then, you know, we, we go on and say, all right. But if, if you're saying, you know, I'm kind of going through a little grieving here, if people would just be able to validate. So this is, right. I guess, a tip for somebody who knows somebody who's going through this process or even any sort of cancer uh, surgery, right. that you could be able just to validate wherever their struggle is. If they don't have a struggle, don't make one. But And if there is one or if there's some grieving, it's completely understandable and uh, being able to be with them and validate their struggle is really super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not just validating their struggle, but validating whatever language they are comfortable using. So for example, some people who are experiencing cancer like to say, I'm a warrior, I'm fighting this, I, they use that battle language. And for some people that makes them very uncomfortable. And I really encourage friends and family to take the cue from the patient as far as what is comfortable for them. So whether it's validating their emotions or even just adapting the language that they use as well. Yes, because I've heard cancer survivor and I don't know that everybody likes that term. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. Some people don't resonate with it. Some people, because some people feel like they're not gonna be a survivor until they're dying from something else, for example, <laughs> you know, in their 90s. And, and, and I think part of that comes from, there are so many ongoing side effects that cancer patients manage or potentially not all, but some manage every day for the rest of their lives, ongoing every day. And so to say you're surviving, well, yes, you're living, but, and yes, you don't currently have cancer. And I think part of it too is with breast cancer, there is such a high recurrence rate that a lot of times um, the doctors don't even use the term uh, remission. What they adapt now is no evidence of disease. Interesting. How can somebody who is close to somebody who is struggling with cancer, surgery, chemo, how can we learn how to speak your unique language? How do we learn from you? And what do we listen to? What kind of cues do we take? Are there any tips for, for the people out there who are kind of struggling on picking up what to say? I think it's just really important to have honest, straightforward conversations mm -hmm. and to just listen, you know, there and, and having a conversation like you and I are having and really listening to the patient and in, in what language are they using? What are their fears? Do they need somebody to help them functionally, like with meals? Or do they need that emotional support? And so having that conversation and even just saying, I don't know what to say to you. I've never experienced this. I don't know how you're feeling. So please help me understand what language you want to use. 
And if it changes, it changes, you know, and, and just being open to riding that roller coaster with them. Yeah, being open and listening and really, truly trying to understand people, I think are good tips for any life situation, right? And here we are talking about cancer. Yeah. And it seems that these things get brought up when we talk about serious subjects like cancer. And yet we can all do this with everybody, right? With they can always, we can try and listen to each other. We could try and understand and speak each other's language as much as we can. Absolutely. And I do have a question because you did go through chemotherapy, right? Yes. And I don't know that you always had funny movies on, but what, how did you survive that? Because I, I have had some clients who have struggled with cancer and chemotherapy, and there's just a lot of chaos that goes on with just the chemotherapy treatment process. Mm -hmm. that, this was after the, the double mastectomy, right? Yes. So after I recovered from the double mastectomy, there's recovery time. And I had five months of chemotherapy. And uh, physically, uh, when I was, was physically at the chemotherapy appointments, I mostly I watched TV or I slept. I, you know, my cancer center is very nice. I was in a private room and I had a TV and I had stations to watch that I didn't have at home, <laughs> you know, so I get to binge watch things that I, I didn't normally or I slept. Oftentimes you're given drugs that make you sleepy. Um, but I, I had some coworkers who brought me meals. And I would say that, again, I just functioned through it. I, I just became what, and one of the things that I think it's important to share with other cancer patients is I learned one of my calming strategies was I learned to lower my expectations. Hmm. I learned that it was okay, that beds weren't made, that the floor hadn't been vacuumed in a while. You know, I, I learned to just lower my expectations because it was me and my kids. And so that is a really good strategy for getting through it as a patient is just lowering that expectation of, of what you think is gonna get done. And um, just being okay with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's another mindset shift is so you can have the mindset that everything has to be done and beds have to be made and everything has to be perfectly cleaned up, or you could shift your mind to it's going to be okay. What's the big harm? What's the big damage if we don't sweep the floor today right. and being able to just let that stuff go if need be, because really the focus is on you getting better, on you healing, whatever that might mean. If it means a little extra rest and a little less sweeping or vacuuming, then that's what you need to focus on. So that is a mindset shift as well. Right. I can honestly say there were days when I was going through treatment that if I was dressed and my children were dressed and showered and we ate, that that was a success. You know, when you're going through treatment, you have certain days that immediately following treatment days that, you know, you're really not feeling well. You have very low energy. You might be sick. You might be nauseous. And then it slowly gets better over a course of days. And then you go back in and start that all over again. And there, there were days when I was happy if we ate and we were showered. 
-hmm. And I was managing also, you know, it, there were times when I would shower and I would lay down and rest and then I would get dressed and I'd lay down and rest. And I was managing too my daughter who has a feeding tube and so complex needs there as well. So I think I was able to easily lower <laughs> what was expected and just get by with the necessities. Do you think that part of how you handled any kind of chaos, especially with your kids, because I think they were in, were they in their teens when this happened or? Yes, they were, they turned 15 during that process. Yeah, yeah. So with managing a twin, 15 year olds, one or both of them have special needs. They do, right? yes. Yeah. Do you feel like a way to calm chaos or any kind of chaos that has to happen when, when there's stuff going on in your body, there's, there's stuff going on with your kids, there's stuff going on everywhere. Do you believe that asking for help comes into play anywhere here? Any, any resources that you could access? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish I had asked for more help. Definitely. And I was not accustomed to asking for help. I was accustomed to doing everything myself. And it was really, really hard. I I did have coworkers bringing me meals. And I wish I'd asked for it sooner. There are great uh, calendar meal planning options out there. I love one called carecalendar.org. And that is a not just for planning meals, but you could put, like the patient could sign up and, and make a list of things that they need done. Like maybe they need a ride to treatment or maybe they need toilet paper picked up from the store or, or something like that. When I went through it, there weren't, wasn't as many delivery options as there are now, but they can put things on a calendar and people can go in and sign up and, and help them. And I really recommend that cancer patients just allow the help, not just ask for it, but allow it. So that resource is carecalendar.org? Yes. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and put that on the screen and see if I can show it here. Yes, that's it, I love it. That's a, it's, it's been Great. helpful to me. Yeah, and, and the reason why I mentioned asking for help is because here you are, you're going through this whole cancer thing and you said, I could get out of the shower and maybe rest, but then I had to deal with this feeding tube. And I'm just like, man, she's really super competent and independent and it just very, I guess, competent just comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And maybe some people would not be able to have that level of competence and they have this cancer mm -hmm. diagnosis they do have some things going on in their lives and so that's what brought up this whole like yeah this concept of other people are put on this planet so that they can help us in our times of need and sometimes we don't even think about that resource about how other people can help us calm the chaos because sometimes people create more chaos right <laughs> so. right they do but you know what it's, it's so, so many times I heard from people that they want to help and it makes them feel better to help, you know, and think about it when, when anybody at any point in their life goes out and volunteers, it fills them up to give to others. And so maybe do that mind shift of thinking I'm allowing them to fill themselves up to help me. 
Yeah, no, see, there you go. I, and you are like the queen of the mindset shift today. <laughs> I really love this. And that's the theme I really think that you, you need to have in life is to be able to know that at every passing moment, something can happen. And at every passing moment, you can shift your mind and turn it all around to another perspective or just another way of looking at things. And you're really super great at, at doing that. I it's think. that reframe. Yeah, yeah. Well, so with that, chemo happened and you were getting the treatments and everything was going along. Yes. And so when did you receive the, I guess they don't say remission anymore, but they say, what is it? Uh, no evidence of disease. Okay. When did you get that no evidence of disease? You know, technically at the mastectomy, they say you no longer have cancer, that they they go in with the intent to remove the cancer and what they call clear margins. So they clear out tissue surrounding the tumor and they consider you no evidence of disease at that point. Any chemotherapy or other treatments, and I had radiation following chemotherapy, all of that is to ensure that there are no rogue cancer cells lurking in your body that they could not detect. And that kills off all of those other rogue cells that are potentially there. Okay. And so I did have, after I recovered from chemotherapy, I had six weeks of radiation. And I had chosen to do a delayed reconstruction, which is not as common, but I wanted that cancer out of my body as soon as possible. And so I began that in the, it would have been the spring of 2016. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, and and with your decisions and choices, you seem to be very, uh, very logical, methodical, <laughs> and very well thought out. And uh, I don't know if that's just a blessing that you have, or if there's a way that people who are just really confused about like, what do I do? I, I, I see that a lot in my practices. People are like, what do I do? There's so many choices. You seem to be very pragmatic, very clear cut, very logical. <laughs> Is there a tip or a trick or something that you can uh, uh, tell or share with our audience about how that clear thinking can be manifested, I guess? Yeah, I think some of that is innate in me. You know, it's it's just a result of my life experiences in, in doing that. However, yes, I did develop a strategy to help people move forward because I found, and even with my my innateness of of going forward and being methodical, there are still times when a person gets stuck, right? So you for me, it was immediately after I began the reconstruction process, I found myself really stuck in that fear of recurrence because at that point you're moving forward physically, but that mind game of, well, what if it comes back? This is a cancer that has a really high risk of recurrence. And so you kind of, your, your mind plays those games of, well, I know how easily this can change in an instant. So what if it comes back? And there was one night, it was in the summer of 2016, when I was feeling sad and lonely and I was home alone and I was reading some message boards. It was online message boards for breast cancer patients. And I was really feeling scared 
And I read something by another cancer patient that really felt like a rope being tossed to me in quicksand. And what she said is that I don't want to look back decades from now and realize I'd lived my entire life in fear. And that made me kind of go forward. And it pulled me out of that emotional stuckness per se. And it made me think, you're right. I, I need to live now because hypothetically, you know, hopefully I'm going to live decades. And so I need to embrace what I have right now and be blessed and, and grateful for what I have now. And so it was at that point that I started looking at changing myself, changing my health. And I went back to school and, and started studying different things about health and started changing myself. And then I developed this ABLE strategy where it is the, the acronym is acknowledge, breathe, listen, and execute. And essentially it's about taking action. And it's essentially about when a person is stuck in, it might be fear, it might be grief of losing a loved one, or it might be um, some, something other life event, trauma that keeps them stuck really the first step is to acknowledge their emotions. The second step is to practice mindful breathing to ground themselves and then to listen to their instincts or their inner voice on what needs to happen next. Is it that you need to make an appointment? Is it need that you need to talk to a therapist? You know, do you need to journal, listen to what your instinct is telling you, and then actually execute that action? So your ABLE strategy, which I love, by the way, because I love acronyms and they're so easy to <laughs> remember. And then you, you just have to remember what the, the, uh, the words are. But you develop this strategy as a, a person who is naturally a methodical, very logical person who has that gift of being able to discern what they're going to do. And then your, your, let's see, here's the, here's the actual model here. Your strategy is born out of that to help people who may not be so clear about Absolutely. them, their own decision-making process. So as you can see then, and this is also on uh, on Catherine Marie's website, which I will give uh, in a little bit. But the ABLE strategy is a four-step strategy taking you from pain, grief, and fear to actually living. Like she was just talking about, today you're alive. The fear that you won't be alive tomorrow or it'll come back is going to be always going to be present. So what you need to do is you need to focus on the here and now. Again, another mindset shift, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're oh, here right now and you're alive right now. Uh, yes. And there's there could be trigger events that come up. For example, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, you know, for a breast cancer patient or, you know, September is uh, Blood Cancer Awareness Month. And so people who have blood cancers, they might be triggered by something in the media, you know, and, and for breast cancer patients, some people, they 
bless them. They love to get out and do all the fundraising and the walks and all of those necessary things. But there are some organizations or uh, retail places that take advantage and they might sell a pink pen, for example, which is not benefiting breast cancer in any way whatsoever. They're just springboarding off of that pink and uh, that might be a trigger, you know. So there are trigger events. It might be going in for a checkup. I know for me, even to this day, six years out, when I go in for blood work, I get a little bit anxious and I need to use that breathing to calm myself. And I might say to myself, okay, it's gonna be okay. This is an emotion. Emotions are not fact. Mm -hmm. And I need to listen to that and acknowledge it and, and breathe myself through it. And then, you know, maybe I plan myself something special after the appointment and, and you know, and, and that's another way, a, a proactive way to, to get through those trigger times. Yeah. Well, and so this ABLE strategy is, it's a longer form that goes into a little bit more detail. You are able to access it on Catherine's website, which is inspiredvitality.life. And all of these uh, things are, uh, I, they're very reasonably priced. So anybody can go and they're very accessible and you're able to go on there and get really good information uh, about cancer and strategies to cope with any of the chaos there. I just love your website too. And I have to say that you're probably just a very natural coach because of the, just the clear way that you look at things and present things. Um, we have, she also has on her website, there's, there's cancer healing as far as the uh, boost immunity and re reduce cancer risk. So that might've been some of those classes that you took uh, around the time where you were, you were healing. And I don't know if you want to speak about the resource guide at all. You know, that that is uh, just something I put together as a resource for anybody, um, you know, because I think it's just nobody wants cancer. And yet everybody, I think, knows somebody who's been touched by cancer. And we can't always know what caused our cancer, but what we can do is control what we can. And by doing that, we can boost our immune system. Fantastic. I love that because it, again, involves a mindset shift and a perception check, you know? So. Yeah. And you also have this really cool tool. It's the Chemo Go Bag Checklist. You want to yes. talk about that a little bit? I'd love to. Thank you, Tracy. That is, it's a two-page checklist for anybody who has been newly diagnosed with cancer and their treatment includes chemotherapy. So when you are diagnosed and they tell you you are going to be having chemotherapy, especially that first day, you are gonna be at the cancer center anywhere from three to six hours. <laughs> and you, you never know how long it's gonna take. And so there are things you wanna bring to for comfort 
And so I designed this checklist to cover all the bases to make sure that you're comfortable. A lot of times the cancer centers are cold. They might offer you a blanket, but they're not the softest. So like a soft blanket is on the list. So that's just a quick download free available on the website. Yeah, I love that. So on your website, which is uh, inspiredvitality.life, you can find this resource for free. And yes. yeah, you, you just go on there and, and you're able to put your email address in there and then it's sent to you. And it's a fantastic resource. And I, I just love that you have this stuff here. I also have heard that you are halfway through a book. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to. It's not quite halfway through, but I'm working on it. I'm working hard. I, I worked actually really hard this weekend. So uh, yes, and it is about taking action. So I, what I'm doing is I'm taking my ABLE strategy and I'm expanding on it. So if you want to get the, the, the brief overview, go to the website, get the download, like you said, at a very accessible price. The book will be expanded it is going to include the ABLE strategy. It's going to include more details about my cancer story. And it's not just for cancer patients because really at the core, it's about moving from being stuck to taking action in whatever aspect of your life that you feel stuck in. And I think a lot of our listeners really would appreciate that because many people are overwhelmed with choices, with input, with the sensory input, with mental input, with choices. And I think that this will help clear up some of the chaos. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So a lot of things. And then you also offer individual consultations and coaching and you can access that through your website. Is that correct? Yes, there is a contact page. Just fill in the information. That'll come right to me and I will reach out to you. And uh, just it's a it's a free phone call with me just to assess whether or not we can work together. Great. Yeah. So a free consultation. So and as October is approaching uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month and this podcast will be airing in October, would you advise that I go get a pink beer to celebrate or? <laughs> no, I would not <laughs> advise that because what? Well, I would advise it if you want to support the restaurant. <laughs> if you want to support the restaurant, absolutely. That's a good thing to do. However, the best way that you can support a breast cancer patient is to offer to bring them a meal, for example, if, if you know somebody who has breast cancer, or simply to honor the struggles of cancer patients and, and maybe uh, understand that when treatment ends, cancer doesn't end. I struggle every day with neuropathy, nerve pain in my feet. I suffer the ongoing effects of medications, of losing my hair. Uh, there's continual ongoing uh, side effects that I manage. And I think to recognize that and understand that as a general public, that is how the best way to support cancer patients. 
So all these football players with the little pink ribbons, they really don't matter? Or? <laughs> <laughs> they do matter, especially if, you know, I think about it is, you know, perhaps they have somebody in mind that they lost to cancer. And I think honoring people that we've lost to the disease is really important. Absolutely. So honoring the people that we've lost is, and, and I think that's pretty much the overarching theme here is honoring people. If mm -hmm. we want to put it into two words, this whole podcast, Absolutely. honoring people, honoring people and, and beyond people who struggle with cancer. Of course, people who struggle with cancer are going to need more care. They're going to need more help. But I think in general, it's a great rule to, to honor people wherever they're at. Right. And that communication and understanding and compassion and, and yeah, having, having, having compassion for each other. Yeah. Well, I really appreciated having you on here today for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October, uh, for us to be more aware of the, the stories of, of breast cancer, the treatment. You really did a nice job just outlining what it's like to be a person who has had uh, breast cancer and beyond, then all of this stuff came out of it, right? You're a right. cancer coach and you have all of these tools and resources to offer. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, anything you'd like to promote that we haven't already promoted? I think you've done a beautiful job of helping me. Thank you so much, Tracy. And I appreciate the work that you are doing. Yes, well, you have helped my audience and me. Of course, I always like to know new ways to calm the chaos, and so you've really helped me today. Thank you so much for being here, Catherine. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos. If the information in today's podcast was helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. You can also go to my website at www.lokahicounseling.com for more resources for calming your mental and emotional chaos. This includes a CD I created that teaches you how to practice mindfulness in less than 10 minutes. So check it out. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.